if you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we'll begin reading with verse 1 of that chapter. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, we come before you thanking you for your many blessings. Thank you that we do have a home to look forward to, a place that you prepared for us. And Father, all because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, dying upon the cross for our sins. And Father, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. That the gospel was shared with us, and we heard the gospel, and we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But Father, I pray that even in our midst there may be one that has not done that. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will flow, flow through our pastor and speak to that heart. Speak to that life that they will come to know you as their personal Savior. Father, and I do thank you for each and every one that's here tonight. Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to lay aside the needs upon our heart and that we'll hear from you and glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to continue our study in the book of Revelation. You should have a worksheet in your bulletin there. If you don't have one, the ushers have some extras. If you'll raise your hand and wave at them, they'll get one to you. Just hold it up there for a minute and the guys will... We'll get those for you. Revelation chapter 21 is a uh, familiar chapter to us. We've kind of gotten through some of the difficult chapters and judgments and struggles that are taking place, and now we come to an exciting chapter, a good thing. We end up chapter 20 with the great white throne judgment and death and hell being cast into the lake of fire. And chapter 21 and verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's an exciting time Amen. as we get past that judgment, great white throne judgment, and get to, to think about heaven. The thought of heaven has sustained Christians for many centuries. Just the knowledge that there's a place of endless glory and there's a place of blessing and joy and peace that awaits us. It's enough to give any child of God joy unspeakable and full of glory. And in these verses, what John tells us about heaven 
only whets our appetite for more. It makes us homesick for heaven. You know, I believe God tells us just enough about heaven to make us homesick for it, but not enough, not too much about heaven to make us become suicidal and want to take our life to get there right now. Amen? But we look forward to it. And if the Lord came back tonight, I think most of you feel the same way I do. It wouldn't interrupt my plans or it wouldn't uh, disappoint me in any way. It would excite me to leave here and go to heaven. I think sometimes we, we almost do more to keep us out of heaven, not in the sense of going to hell, but staying here on earth. You know, in our prayer list, we're praying for people who are sick to get well. And I've said this before, we, we sometimes pray more to keep people out of heaven than we do to keep people out of hell. And uh, so, yes, we have that inside of us that God's built in us, that desire to live, uh, but we also have a desire to go to heaven to be with the Lord, and it's a wonderful place that we look forward to. Notice with me, first of all, it's a, it is planned as a new creation. It is planned as a new creation. Verse number one says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Human history begins in the garden, and it ends with a city that's much like the garden, a paradise. In John's day, Rome was the admired city, and yet what man admired, God compared it to a harlot. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. But then when you turn that around and you think about the eternal city, that's not a city that's an abomination to God. That's a wonderful place. And it's compared in the Bible to a beautiful bride because it's the eternal home of God's beloved people. If you look down at verse number 9, we didn't get that far in our reading, but look at verse 9 for a minute. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. God's statements recorded in verses 5 and 6 summarize these final two chapters. He talks about some things here that are going to be in heaven. First of all, he says there are some new things. There are some new things. In verse 5, he says, He that sat upon the throne of heaven... Um, uh, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. There's going to be some new things. I make all things new. You know, there's something about just getting new things, isn't there? Uh, you like new things. Now, there's some of you that are antique collectors and all that kind of thing. I understand that. But there's just something about getting something. And we have a word for that. We say it's, it is brand new. Now, what does that mean, brand and we all know that because we use the term all the time, but the word brand. But you try to explain that to somebody who's trying to learn the English language. What's brand new mean, you know? And then we say, we're really excited. We say it's brand spanking new, isn't it? And, uh, but anyway, these are going to be some new things that are there. Then also there'll be some no more things. There's some no more things. Verse 6 says, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He says there at the beginning of that verse, he said unto me, it is done. There's going to be some things that are no more. 
some things that are done. What began in Genesis is completed in Revelation. In Genesis, the heavens and the earth were created. In Revelation 21, verse 1, there's a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis 1:16, the sun is created. In Genesis 21, 23, there's no need for the sun because Jesus is the light of heaven. In Genesis 1, 5, the night is established. In chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 5, the Bible says there is no night there. In Genesis 1, 10, the seas are created. Genesis, uh, Revelation 21, 1 says no more seas. Genesis 3, 14 through 17, the curse is announced. Revelation 22, 3 says there is no more curse. That would be a wonderful thing, won't it, when the curse is lifted. In Genesis 3, 19, death enters into history. Revelation 21, 4 says there is no more death. Genesis 3, verse 24, man is driven out of the garden. Revelation 22 and verse 14, man is restored to paradise. In Genesis 3, 17, sorrow and pain begin. In, Genesis, or in Revelation 21, 4, there is no more tears and no more pain. So look back at verse number 1, and he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The word new there means not only new as to time, but also new as to kind. It is a new kind of heaven and a new kind of earth. The first heaven and the first earth are going to be burned up, but they're not going to be annihilated. They become purged by fire, or what we would call regenerated. Satan has defiled both spheres, and God is going to make them new, a new heaven and a new earth. They are made new in the sense that when we get saved, the Bible says we become a new creature in Christ. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The new creature in Christ, God changed man. He quickened us. He renewed us by the Spirit of God. In Genesis 9 and verse 11, when God destroyed the earth by flood, he didn't annihilate it. And later, he replenished it and he renewed it. Our bodies are going to deteriorate and return to dust. When we die, we're placed in the grave. But one day, God's going to raise these bodies up, and he's going to give us a new body. He's going to rejuvenate it. Isn't it amazing? Do you ever stop and think, God knows where every speck of dust from every person that's ever died, God knows where it is. And the same God that could take the dust of the ground and make a person, make Adam out of it, can put back together again the dust and make a new person. Let me say also that Eternal, our eternal state in heaven is not just a, it's not just a spiritual condition. It's not a state of mind. Heaven is a real place. It's a real place. And the earth and heavens are fixed locations throughout all of eternity. And so is the lake of fire, as Revelation chapter 20 tells us. Go back with me to John chapter 14. You're familiar with these verses. The Lord is talking to the disciples and telling them he's going to go away. And he says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. God didn't want the disciples to be troubled. He's, getting, he's going to leave them. He's going to go to heaven. And he said, Let not your heart be troubled. And that's kind of a paradox of a statement in the sense that when you, you're about to lose your leader and in perhaps their closest friend, he says, Don't be troubled about it. Sometimes in our lives we face the loss of a husband or a wife or a child or a parent. 
It's a difficult time, but God says to us, let not your heart be troubled. When they know the Lord, we know where they're going, don't they? We talk about losing a loved one. We don't really lose them, do we? Because we know where they're at. They're with the Lord. And so he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's a real place. It's not a figure of speech. It's not a, 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 a something of our mind. It's real. And notice what he says. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The Lord promised to go and prepare a place, a real place for us. A place called heaven. A wonderful place. And then he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it was any different from that, he would have told us that. The clear implication is that if heaven were drastically and shockingly different from earth, then he would have told us. He would have told us. And I believe that we'll feel just as much at ease and at home in heaven as we feel at ease and at home here on earth. Granted, heaven will be perfect. It'll be far more beautiful. It'll be a more wonderful place. But there's something comforting in knowing that it will be similar and that it will be permanent. Now, we are pilgrims and travelers. We're just passing through. But then we'll be home. And it will be our home for eternity. And then I want you to notice that it is provided with a new capital. Heaven is provided with a new capital. Go back to our place in Revelation chapter 21 and look at verse number 22, or verse number 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The heavens are literal. The earth is literal. The sea is literal. This city in verse 2 is literal. This city is the great heavenly capital of the renewed earth throughout the millennium. And it'll be the enduring home of the saved for all of eternity. Now we don't know everything about that city, but we know some things about it. He tells us, first of all, that it is a pure city. He says to us there that it is a holy city. John, I, John, saw the holy city. There's no sin there. There's no corruption there. There's no devil there. There's no lost people there. It's a pure city. It's a holy city. And then it is a presented city. It's presented. He said, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. This city comes from God. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. In verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to what the, the Apostle Paul says there in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, he says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now there's an application of that verse to our life here and now. He says in verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. There are many things that God has revealed to us. 
But there are many things as far as heaven is concerned that we in our finite minds and we in our human bodies, we can't begin to imagine what God has prepared for us. This earth that we live on, in many ways, there's a lot of beautiful places. Oftentimes you see pictures or you go on vacation, you see the Grand Canyon or, or you see the, the mountains out west and different things that you see. I know sometimes when, when Vicki and I are traveling, we go back to Virginia to visit family and so forth and, and, and along where we lived along the, the uh, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains through there, you, you kind of see those mountains, you think, boy, I miss the mountains, you know. There's something about the mountains and the beauty of all of it. There are a lot of things in this earth that are beautiful, but they don't even begin to compare to what heaven, the beauty and the glory that what, of what God has prepared for us. And we are confined to what we know and what we see, but this is going to be a wonderful place that God's prepared, and it comes from God. It is a presented city. Then it's also a prepared city. We read the verses in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's kind of like a, a, a bride. In fact, he tells us here in this verse, it's a prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God's preparing heaven, this new Jerusalem, as a place that is like a bride preparing for her wedding, preparing for her husband. Now you ladies who have been going through all the preparation for a wedding or you've helped your, your daughter get ready for her wedding, you know that there are months and, and weeks, sometimes even years and days and hours of preparation and getting ready. Her hair has to be just right and her makeup has to be perfect. The dress has to be beautiful. The maid of honor fixes the train when she comes up on the platform and so forth. Everything just right. She has to have exactly the, 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 the shoes that match perfectly with her, with her wedding dress. The cake, where all the time is spent in choosing and picking it out and somebody preparing it. And then the reception's all got to be perfect and, and everything has to be just right. And then... When that bride comes down the aisle, you talk about a beautiful thing. This, this, this bride is beautiful. And God is saying this city of heaven, it's beautiful. By the way, let me say this, and I'll, I'll meddle a little bit. For some of you who are going to get married in the future, some of you young ladies are dreaming about your wedding day, and some of you moms are planning already the wedding for your daughter, who might be five years old now, but you're... You don't have to spend a fortune on a wedding to make it beautiful and wonderful. And that's enough meddling for that. But just to... And could I make a suggestion? When you have your bridesmaids choosing their outfits, pick something they can wear again. How many weddings do ladies, girls buy, spend $100 or $200 for a for a dress that they'll never be able to wear again. Maybe they can put it on eBay or something and sell it, but I'm, I know I'm a man. There's, you know, we think about the money things, you know, and all that stuff. I heard a story about a groom. He asked the preacher how much he owed for the wedding. And the preacher said, well, he said, whatever you think it's worth, you just pay me whatever you think it's worth. And the man reached in his pocket and he handed the preacher a dollar bill. And during the wedding ceremony, 
When the preacher said, you may kiss the bride, they lifted the veil for him to kiss the bride, and when she lifted the veil, the preacher reached in his pocket and he gave him 50 cents back. <laughs> anyway, that's... That's not going to be like this city in heaven. This is going to be a beautiful city. It'll be a wonderful place that's prepared for us. And then notice, thirdly, it's, a prepared, it's prepared for a new community. It's prepared for a new community. In verse number 3 it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And this is amazing. I was reading this verse this afternoon again. And it just amazed me to think about God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now in many ways that's already true now. But in reality, we will be with him. And he will be our God. It's a whole new community. Two things are mentioned about this new community. First of all, they are blessed by the presence of God. What a privilege to have God's presence. The Bible gives an interesting record of the dwelling places of God all through Scripture. First, God walked with man. He walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then God dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle and later on in the temple that was built. And when Israel sinned against God, God departed from both of those dwellings. And later Jesus came to live on earth and the Bible says he tabernacled or he dwelt among us. And today God does not live in man-made temples or man-made tabernacles, but instead he lives in our bodies which are the temple of the living God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body is the temple of God. He dwells in us. We come together for a church service and we say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and rejoice in the presence of God being here with us. But we ought to rejoice every day that the presence of God is with us. He lives in us. Our body is the temple of the living God. In both the tabernacle and the temple, the veil stood between man and God. But thank God that veil was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross and Hebrews tells us that God made a new and a living way for his people so that we can enjoy the presence of God. Hebrews 10.19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holies by the blood of Jesus. Even though God dwells in our hearts and in our lives today as believers, we still have not begun to fully understand the fellowship of God and understand what God is like. But one day... One day we will dwell with him, and he will dwell with us, and we will enjoy his presence forever. You think about this, the lost are without God. They're without Christ, they're without hope. But the saved, we will be with him for all of eternity. And that presence, which is the chief horror of the lost, is the chief happiness of the saved. In Revelation chapter 20, he said, from, when Jesus sat on the great white throne, it said, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. To the lost, it's a great horror, but to the saved, it brings great joy. 
And then notice with me also, they are blessed by the absence of grief. They're blessed by the presence of God, but also by the absence of grief. Verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And he goes on to say, There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No more sadness. He's going to wipe away all tears. Now it's interesting that this verse comes after the great white throne judgment in chapter 20. I believe at the great white throne judgment, only lost people are going to stand before God there. Their names are not found written in the book. The last part of the verse tells us, whosoever was not found written in the book was cast into the lake of fire. But I believe we will be kind of like the, the jury, you might say, at that trial. And I believe we'll see loved ones whom who didn't get saved, and there'll be tears because we know that they're cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. In the next chapter, God's going to wipe away all those tears and all that sorrow. I don't know how he'll do it. I cannot imagine living through eternity, enjoying heaven and knowing that our loved ones are in hell for eternity and not have any tears. So it may be, this is just the Schelling revised version, it may be that he'll take them from our memory. I don't know that, but I think that's probably what he'll do. We'll not remember it. But he's going to take away all sadness. He's going to wipe away. He's going to obliterate, wipe out all the tears. And then there's going to be no separation, no sadness and no separation. He says, there shall be no more death. And our loved ones pass away and we have that funeral service. There's separation. They're gone from us. We won't see them anymore. I heard somebody on one of the news things talking about telling their daughter who had overdosed, a daughter had overdosed with drugs, having to tell her sister that her sister's not coming back anymore. There's separation. There'll be no more separation in heaven. No funerals. Brother Harry Lesby, who some of us know, pastor over at Delhi Hills, yesterday morning had a funeral service. At the end of the funeral service, he had a stroke. And had to be taken to the hospital, and he's doing, doing okay, but there won't be any more funerals in heaven. No more funerals. No graves. No cemeteries. It'll be a wonderful place of no separation. Then there'll be no sorrow. It says to us, there's neither sorrow nor crying. No more mourning. No more weeping hearts. No more broken homes. No more broken hearts. What a wonderful time that'll be. And then there'll be no suffering. He says, neither shall there be any more pain. Boy, how many of you be glad when you don't have any more pain? Amen? When all those Ritus brothers are gone, arthritis and bursitis and all those other Ritus brothers, they're gone. No more pain. No more hurts. No more longings. No more surgeries. No more hospitals. No more shots. No more casts. In every age, the hope of heaven has encouraged God's people when they were going through times of suffering. One of the ways we get through those difficult times is we know that there's something better that awaits us. Many of the first century believers were tortured. Many of them lost their lives. And yet they rejoiced when they read about heaven. As they suffered... And as they went through those difficult times, they could rejoice because they knew there's a place called heaven. 
And then it's also protected by a new constitution. It's protected by a new constitution. Verse number 5 says, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. When our founding fathers came to this new world, they drew up a mighty compact. It was a noble experience, and it brought into being a great and a mighty nation that we enjoy today. But I hate to say it, that dream has faded, hasn't it? It has faded. For although the Puritans were good men and godly men, they were still creatures of clay, and their children were sinners just like themselves. And in the process of time, the remarkable constitution that was drawn up for the United States of America has become one of the most impressive, enlightened doctrines that, documents that has ever been written. But the very freedoms that it protects have threatened to be the very undoing of the nation in which we live. Even the best-known colonies and countries of the world and the best-conceived constitutions are foiled by the sinfulness of man. But there is a country where there's going to be a constitution that will be flawless and the countrymen will be perfect, and that country is heaven. There's three guarantees built into the constitution of the New Jerusalem. First of all, it's a splendid place to live. A splendid place to live. He says again in verse 5, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. Most people like to move into a brand new home. Something about it being new. And you enjoy that. One day we're going to get to move into a brand new world. Amen? Everything will be new. God will lavish the genius of his creative imagination on it. And he'll furnish it with the resources, the unlimited resources of his power. It'll be a new place, a splendid place to live. When we move into that new house... Some of you can think about it. And sometimes it's not always new built, but sometimes it's new for you. Some of the new things in that new house. I, I can remember we lived for a while in this house next door over here where Brother Larry lives. And, and one of the things we had to deal with all the time were the window units for air conditioning. There's no central air over there. And there's wind, in the wintertime, we had to take them out. In the spring, we had to put them back in and all that. We moved into our house that we lived in for a while down in Richmond. We had central air. I remember when I was a kid, we had uh, wood stoves and coal-burning stoves. I remember we moved to Roanoke, Virginia, and we got into this house that had central heat. Now, we still had to go put coal in the furnace, but it had a fan and ductwork, and it blew that air throughout the rest of the house, and that was a big deal. Central heat we now had. You go into new homes, and you get all kinds of new furnishings and, and new gadgets and all of those things that, that you have. And, and it's just something about a new house. You get a new car. You can just smell it, can't you? That new car smell. In fact, you can go to the car wash and they'll ask you, do you want the new car smell? And they'll spray that in your car. You get those new gadgets. Remember when OnStar first came out? Well, people thought that was the best thing since sliced bread. And, and now, you know, you get in, you got those cameras that, that you can see behind you and you can see beside. I was driving somebody's car the other day and, and it, it, it 
started making a beeping noise and, and a, a, a picture came on the screen and it was showing me uh, oh, there was a wall beside me and, and I, I wasn't, I, I don't know if I was too close to it or what, but it was warning me there's something over there beside me. You know, all these new gadgets we have. But you know, the Bible says again, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. And by the way, it won't take countless years of imagined evolutionary process to bring that new world into being, will it? He who said at the dawn of creation, let there be light and there was light, will once again speak forth his power and a new universe will appear and we cannot begin to imagine what it will be like. But even this prospect of this world our world is marred by sin and marred by all the wickedness that goes on. I think the beauty of heaven will take our breath away when we see it. And then notice it is a satisfying place to live. It's a splendid place to live, but also it's a satisfying place. Look at the end of verse 6. Lord said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. A satisfying place. There'll be several satisfying things. There'll be satisfying resources. Satisfying resources. He says he'll, will, he that is a thirst, he'll give to drink of that fountain of the water of life freely. Thirst is... It's an unpleasant sensation for us to have. And it usually doesn't come instantaneously. It kind of comes as we go through time without water, without something to drink. And, and then when you get that first cool drink of water, it's so refreshing. I, there's a place when we go out to visit our daughter, Kelly, out in Tennessee. We go through Cross 25 and go through the mountains there. And, and there's a place where there's a pipe that runs out of the hillside coming down those mountains and people, cars will pull over and line up and get water out of that, that fresh, refreshing spring water that comes or mountain water that comes out of that. Something refreshing about that cool drink. And the Lord said in heaven, we'll have the privilege of drinking from that living water, that fountain of the water of life freely. And you think about the awful condition of the lost. The Lord gave us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember what the, Lazarus, what the rich man said? He told Abraham, send Lazarus that he may do what? Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. In heaven we'll be satisfied with the water of life that we drink freely. In hell they'll be parched and begging for just a drop of water. He didn't ask for a glass of water. He didn't ask for just a, 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 a part of a glass. He just asked for a drop. And the lost for all of eternity will be in an awful condition. But those of us who are saved will thirst after God and we will be satisfied. Satisfying resources. And then there's also satisfying responsibilities. Look at verse number 7. He says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. God gave Adam and Eve a satisfying responsibility in the Garden of Eden. 
They had some responsibilities before they sinned and before they fell and before they were put out of the Garden of Eden. They were put out of paradise. We're going to get to go back to paradise. Could I say to you this evening that satisfying work is rewarding, it's challenging, and it's worthwhile. And in heaven, those that overcome are going to have a special inheritance, will be heir of all things, and we will be administrators of that inheritance for the glory of God. I heard a fellow one time say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to get to do nothing forever and ever. He had a wrong concept of heaven. There's going to be plenty for us to do up there. But it'll be satisfying. It'll be a satisfying responsibilities that God gives. I believe that God gives circumstances of life to test us, to develop us, so that we can better handle the responsibilities that we're going to have when we get to heaven. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to make us the overcomers that God wants us to be down here, then we're going to get to enter into larger responsibilities over there. Satisfying resources, satisfying responsibilities, and then there's satisfying relationship. He says at the end of verse number 7, I will be his God and he shall be my son. First, God gives us his son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave us his son. Then when Jesus went back to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, verse 13, he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He gave us his Son. He gave us his Holy Spirit. Finally, we get to heaven, and he gives us himself. He says in that verse, I will be his God. We get him. And what a wonderful thing that will be. And then I want you to notice it's also a safe place to live. Look at verse number 8. He says, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In contrast to the overcomers, verse 8 describes people who were overcome by sin. They would not trust the Lord as their Savior, and consequently, they're not going to get to be there that it'll be a safe place for us because those who would harm us and hurt us aren't going to get to be there. What is their destination? It's back in the last verse of chapter 20. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. This world considers us as Christians to be losers, but it's the unbelievers that are the losers. They'll miss out for all of eternity. He says here in verse 8, the fearful... The fearful are not going to be in heaven. The cowardly, those that do not have the courage to stand up for Jesus Christ, they reject him. And in fact, during the tribulation period, they'll take the mark of the beast and, and worship the, the beast and so forth. The fearful, the cowardly. And then he says the unbelieving. Those who would not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they wouldn't trust him as Savior. They would not believe the word of God. They're not going to be in heaven. And then he mentions the abominable those who are polluted, those who indulge in sin and are polluted in mind and spirit and body. Abominable. And then murderers, those who take the life of other people premeditatively. The murderers are not going to be in heaven. Whoremongers, that's the sexually immoral people. They're not going to get to be a part of heaven. Sorcerers, those who are involved in witchcraft and occult. And many times it, it represented those that use magic and casting spells on people. They're not going to be in heaven. 
And then he says, idolaters, those that worship other gods. Aren't you glad we get to know the true and the living God? And we get to worship him. And all other gods are false gods. Idolaters are not going to get to heaven. And then the last one's kind of interesting. He says, and all liars. Boy, we can go down that list and say, well, I'm not a bomber, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a whore, I'm not a sorcerer, I'm not a... All liars. Aren't you glad we've been forgiven? Amen? But God said liars, those who will not tell the truth, they're not going to be in heaven. Thank God when we get saved, we get the person to live within us who is the truth. And when Jesus comes to live with you, those who are constantly lying, their life is changed to tell the truth because the truth now lives in them. It's going to be a place in heaven that is a safe place to live. Heaven's a wonderful place. The song says, filled with glory and grace, I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Are you going there? Amen? Amen. Are you ready? Are you looking for him? The Lord promises a reward for those who are looking for his coming. And I hope you're looking. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truths that you tell us about heaven. How they encourage us. How they strengthen us in times when we're struggling to know that, that the best is yet to come for us. To know that one day all the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the difficulties will be gone. And we'll enjoy you and your presence for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that every single person here tonight would know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. And I pray that you would help every one of us to have a greater burden to reach our loved ones and our family members and friends so that they can go and enjoy heaven too and not be amongst that group in verse 8 that will not be there. Help us to do our part to reach them for Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.